Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well, as we will once again be in Mark chapter 9 this morning, looking specifically today at verses 30 through 37, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ again foretells about his death and resurrection, and also when Jesus' disciples begin to argue with one another about which of them is the greatest which all takes place, church, in Mark chapter 9, following some pretty substantial events in the life and in the ministry of Jesus Christ. The first of those substantial events being the glorious transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Or when Jesus Christ took with him three of his disciples, those disciples being Peter and James and John, up to a high mountain by themselves, where Jesus Christ was then transfigured before them, or was transformed right before them, and that his clothes became radiant white, and as no one on earth could see them. And not only that, but a cloud then, church, overshadowed them, And out of the cloud, the voice of God said to them that this Jesus Christ is my beloved Son and that they are to listen to him. And then following this glorious event, Jesus Christ and his disciples then came down the mountain only to find that Jesus' other disciples at this time had a crowd of people gathered around them. And that scribes or that of religious teachers of the day were arguing with them here as well. Because, and what had taken place here, church, was that a father who had a boy who was possessed by a demon came to Jesus Christ here in order to try to get Jesus to cast this demon out of his son. Only to find out that Jesus Christ wasn't present at this time, since he was still up on a high mountain with Peter and James and John during his transfiguration. And thus, because of that, the father then decided to take this demon-possessed boy to Jesus' other disciples and to ask them to cast this demon out of his son, which Jesus' other disciples at this time simply were not able to do. And not because they lacked the authority to do so here, church, but instead because they simply lack the faith. And thus Jesus Christ then, for he says in verse 19, to bring the boy with the unclean spirit to me. And after eventually making it clear to the boy's father in verse 23, that all things are possible for the one who believes, the boy's father then, for he cries out to Jesus Christ in verse 24, I believe, help my unbelief. And as in saying to Jesus Christ here that I do indeed believe that you, Jesus, can cast this evil and wicked and unclean spirit out of my son and heal him and make him well, but that I also need you, Jesus, to help Help me with my unbelief and to help me overcome a faith that at this time is imperfect and fragile and weak and full of doubt. To which Jesus Christ then, in seeing this man's true and sincere and genuine faith here, no matter how frail and no matter how weak it might have been, he then rebukes the unclean spirit here in verse 25 and the unclean spirit for it comes out of the boy. And as we saw last week in the Gospel of Luke, 
The boy then, church, was healed and was given back to his father, which is exactly where we are going to pick up in our text today, and which takes us at this time to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and a servant to all. Christian, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and a servant to all. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not, do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you this morning, because trust me, we want you to have your very own copy of the Word of God. However, if indeed you do take and keep one of our church Bibles, the only thing we ask in return is that you read it, starting right here, right now, by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 845, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 9 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 30 through 37, where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child up, or took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a humbling text we have before us this morning. This perfect picture of humility in the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was there in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and yet who was willing to take on human flesh, be delivered into the hands of sinful men, die for a sinful people, and three days later be raised from the dead. And then to consider the discipleship, or those who want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, if we want to be great, if we want to be first, we have been called to be last. 
Father, I pray that you soften our hearts this morning. Give us a spirit of humility to receive this text. Give us a spirit of meekness, of self-sacrifice, of a willingness to put others before ourselves. Everything in this world tells us, Father, that we need to get ours, that we need to be the greatest, that we need to do something amazing according to the word, to be loved by social media, have our name be put on billboards. It is foolish, Father. It is not greatness. You have defined and described greatness this morning to us. Father, give us meekness, give us humility, and a spirit of self-sacrifice this morning to see this text clearly. And let it then, Father, transform us as we as a church body put each other before ourselves, love each other sacrificially in order to build each other up. Father, help me this morning, I pray. Help my lisping and stammering tongue. Give me clarity this morning. Father, I pray your spirit guides all the words of my mouth so that they are a fragrant offering and sacrifice to you so that you are glorified and that they edify and build up this dear church body, I pray. Do this wonderful work in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was willing to serve others to the point of being delivered into the hands of men and killed for the sins of many. Point number one, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was willing to serve others to the point of being delivered into the hands of men and killed for the sins of many. Verses 30 through 32, where John Mark writes, And they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So as we see here, we have Jesus Christ and his twelve disciples likely leaving the region of Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus Christ was likely transfigured and healed the boy with the unclean spirit. And as we see in verse 30, they, Jesus and his disciples, went on from there and passed through that of Galilee. Galilee being the region where Jesus Christ actually began his public preaching ministry. For it was Galilee, church, if you can remember back to Mark chapter 1, where Jesus Christ actually began proclaiming the gospel of God and preaching that the time is fulfilled and that the kingdom of God is at hand and that people must repent and believe in the gospel. And yet as Jesus Christ and his disciples passed through that of Galilee, for they did not stop there in order to begin preaching once again in Galilee, or to begin teaching once again in Galilee, nor even to begin proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God once again in Galilee. But instead, as verse 30 puts it, they simply passed through or traveled through church that of Galilee. Since Jesus Christ was now making his way, church, 
toward that of Jerusalem, the place where he would eventually be delivered over to be crucified. And thus as Jesus Christ and his disciples pass through that of Galilee, Jesus Christ, as we see in verse 30, did not want anyone to know, likely because he just wanted to spend this time not dealing with that of the crowds in Galilee, but instead, verse 31, just teaching that of his disciples, who despite already being taught by Jesus Christ, back in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again, Jesus' disciples at this time, church, still did not understand exactly what Jesus Christ meant by all that. And thus it is because of that that Jesus Christ then continues to teach his disciples here in verse 31 that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and that they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Saying in essence here that the Son of Man which, remember, church, was a designation for Jesus Christ that we get not only from Psalm chapter 8, which uses the phrase, the Son of Man, to describe someone as being truly human or truly man, but also from that of Daniel chapter 7 as well, which uses the phrase, the Son of Man, to describe the one from heaven who dominion and glory and a kingdom has been given to, and thus this Son of man designation by Jesus Christ here, for it encapsulates here, as numerous scholars have pointed out, not only the true humanity of Jesus Christ, but also that of the true divine messiahship of Jesus Christ here as well. And yet Jesus Christ, he still says to his disciples here that he, the Messiah, the Son of Man, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And although one of Jesus' own disciples, a man by the name of Judas Iscariot, will eventually then hand Jesus Christ over to the chief priest and to the Jewish elders of the day, and although they then, church, will also hand Jesus Christ over to Pilate, who will eventually then deliver Jesus Christ over to be crucified, I think what Jesus Christ is actually getting at here, church, or is ultimately conveying here, is that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, verse 31, is going to be delivered into the hands of men by God the Father himself which makes sense, church, since it was ultimately God the Father who laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53, and also God the Father, church, who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, Romans chapter 8. Nevertheless, despite Jesus' disciples here in verse 31, hearing that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man, is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and furthermore, hearing that they will kill him and that after three days he will rise. Jesus' disciples, as we see here in verse 32, for they still did not understand this saying or how any of these teachings were actually plausible. Which again, should not come as a surprise to us, church. 
since it was not until after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jesus' disciples would finally grasp what the Messiahship of Jesus Christ and that of the teachings of Jesus Christ actually meant. However, although the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ at that time, church, had not taken place, at this time, church, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ most definitely has taken place. And thus it is because of that that I want to ask each and every one of you here today, for do you then this morning, church, truly grasp and comprehend the height and the length and the depth and the weight of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whereas God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, ordained even before the very beginning of time that his one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, would be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and that they would beat him and punch him, spit on him and flog him, crown him with a crown of of thorns, nail him to an old rugged cross at Calvary, all in order to crucify and to kill him. And yet three days later, he, Jesus Christ, would be raised from the dead so that sinners, by grace through faith, could be saved from their sins through him. For that is the question that I want each and every one of you here today to contemplate this morning. And that do you at this time, church, truly grasp and understand the power and the height and the weight and the depth and the eternal significance of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, his son Jesus Christ died for us because that message and that message alone, church, although folly to the world, is the only message of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And thus, because of that, do you truly then understand and comprehend and grasp this morning, church, the eternal significance of Jesus Christ and him crucified? Which brings us to point number two. The way of true greatness, Christian, comes not from putting yourself first, but instead from putting others first and from being a servant to all. Again, point number two this morning. The way of true greatness, Christian, comes not from putting yourself first, but instead from putting others first and from being a servant to all. Verses 33 through 37, which reads, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, 
And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. So after Jesus Christ tells his disciples that he, the Messiah, the Son of Man, is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and that they would kill him, and that after three days he would rise, Jesus and his disciples then, verse 33, came to a place called Capernaum, which should sound awfully familiar to you all, since Capernaum was in essence the home base, if you will, for Jesus Christ during his time ministering throughout the region of Galilee. However, as we go on to see in verse 33, that when Jesus was in the house, potentially referring to the house of Simon Peter here, as mentioned back in Mark chapter 1, verse 29, that Jesus Christ asked them, them being his disciples here, for what were you discussing on the way? To which Jesus' disciples then, as we see in verse 34, they kept silent, likely because they were feeling a bit embarrassed and maybe a bit sheepish, since Jesus' disciples were arguing with one another, church, verse 34, about which of them was the greatest. To which Jesus Christ then, as we see in verse 35, he sits down, and he calls that of his twelve disciples over to himself, and he begins saying to them, or teaching them, verse 35, that if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. That if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And that's insane here, church, that the way to true greatness, as numerous commentators have put it, is not about how much power you possess, nor about how much influence you possess, nor about all the honors or the positions or the rankings or the overall prestige that you possess, but that instead true greatness or that of being first comes only from being last or from putting others before yourself and from humbly being a servant to all. Meaning, church, not just to those who are like you or who are closest to you or who go to the same church as you or who are Christians just like you, but that instead the way to true greatness, church, is to humbly and to meekly and to self-sacrificially be a servant to all. To which Jesus Christ then goes on to illustrate this point here, church, to his disciples in verses 36 and 37 by literally taking up a child into his arms and by saying to them in verse 37 that whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And in order to understand this illustration from Jesus Christ, we have to understand that the child here, church, in this illustration represents that of the least of these. And I say that because children as a whole within the culture of that day, church, simply did not possess any type of legitimate power or authority or rank. And thus because of that, when Jesus Christ then takes this child up into his arms and says to his disciples in verse 37, that whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me, what he, Jesus Christ, was getting at here, church, as Mark Strauss explains, 
is that when someone cares about the least of these or about the insignificant in the eyes of the world, in Jesus' name, one really then is receiving Jesus. And the one who receives Jesus not only receives Jesus, but that of God the Father as well, who sent Jesus Christ into this world. Derek Burgess, for he shared church, that many years ago there was a yacht that had landed one evening in Scotland, and that two young men then left the yacht and set out on a walking tour throughout the country. However, during the tour, the two men ended up eventually getting lost. Therefore, late one evening, they both ended up at the door of a farmer's cottage, and although they pleaded with the farmer to let them in since they were both hungry and cold, the farmer instead decided to keep the door shut. However, when they both reached another cottage a couple miles down the road, that farmer, although it was now past midnight, decided to let them both in. And to his surprise, he also found out that one of the young men who he had let in was the prince who later became George V, the beloved king of the UK. And thus what shame and humiliation the first farmer must have felt when he found out that he had indeed shut the door in the face of the king. And thus lovingly, let me warn you all here this morning, church. For do not seek to be great in the eyes of the world, because our God... For he sees not as man sees, and he values not as man values, and he describes true greatness not as fallen man describes true greatness, but instead our God makes clear, church, that the way to true greatness is by putting yourself last and by being a servant to all, and that you care for that of the least of these, love that of the least of these, serve that of the least of these, and welcome and receive, church, that of the least of these. Since, as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ declared in Matthew 25, that as you did to the least of these my brothers you did it to me and thus because of that always 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 be willing then Christian to be a humble and a meek and a self-sacrificial servant to all since that is the way to true greatness and thus as we begin to close this morning church I want to begin with the non-Christian who is here first and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, about this God-man named Jesus Christ, who in light of this concept of counting others as more significant than ourselves, Jesus Christ, despite being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead willingly emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and by being born in the likeness of man. And that this Jesus Christ, this divine Son of God, that he willingly, non-Christian, came into this world as truly God and as truly man, and not in order to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. And he did that for us, non-Christian, by 
by initially living for us the life that we could never live. And that he, Jesus Christ, lived a life here on earth, non-Christian, that was absolutely perfect. Whereas he kept all the commandments of God, never broke any of the precepts of God, walked faithfully in all the ways of God, and thus fulfilled in its entirety the very law of God, non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, this keeping of the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that in and of itself was not enough to save the children of God from their sins. And thus, because of that, Jesus Christ then also gave up his life as a ransom for many. And he did that, non-Christian, by being nailed to and pierced and crucified and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never, ever sinned. However, this perfect and sinless and spotless sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary, for it completely then, non-Christian, appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And thus, because Jesus Christ then, non-Christian, satisfied the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children, and furthermore, because Jesus Christ never, ever sinned, three days later than non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day, I promise you, non-Christian, that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift of salvation and that of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so in light of verse 34, where we see that Jesus' disciples had actually argued with one another about which of them was the greatest, or about which of them was the most important or about which of them was the most wonderful, the most praiseworthy, the most commendable, or about which one of them should be chief among them. And thus to paraphrase the scholar David Garland here, for the disciples, for they had a mistaken sense of their own self-importance here, and that they wanted to be great in order so that others would serve them. And a church that is filled with prima donnas who only want to control everything for that church rarely ministers effectively since everyone is simply too busy 
trying to direct others and to get their own way rather than trying to get the job done and to serve. And thus, this type of prickly pride, for it often then spills over into quarrels and then affects all areas of ministry as well. For what a sobering warning that is for us all, is it not? And thus, in light of that, church, for let me lovingly then remind each and every one of you here this morning as congregants at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, that it is Jesus Christ who is building this church. And that it's not Pastor West who is building this church. Nor is it Pastor Ricardo who is building this church. Nor is it the president of our elder board, Ken Good, who is building this church. Nor is it our deacons who are building this church, our gifted musicians who are building this church, nor our ministry leaders, our children's church teachers, nor even our beloved church cleaners who are building this church, but that instead it is Jesus Christ who is building Faith Bible Fellowship Church. And thus because of that, we don't need to pridefully then, brother Christian, sister Christian, argue with one another or fight with one another or quarrel with one another about which member is the greatest or about which congregant is the most important or about which ministry is the most vital or even about which one of our giftings deserves the most recognition, but instead we can just joyfully, Christian, be obedient to our King Jesus Christ, who is the one who is building this church and who has called us, Christian, to deny ourselves, to die to self, to put our own preferences aside, count others as more significant than ourselves, and to willingly be a servant to all. And thus, please, please, please then, brother Christian, sister Christian, do not view this body, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, as a place where you can pridefully seek to gain control, to assert your own power, to declare your own will, and to try to rule and to reign over us all as the greatest, but instead see this church Christian, this beautiful body of believers Christian as a place where you can use your giftings, put others first, place yourself last, serve with humility, sacrifice with consistency, and seek to excel at Christian, building each other up. Since the way to true greatness, as made clear by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself is by putting yourself last, Christian, and by humbly being a servant to all. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body grow in our understanding of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and of the accomplishment of Jesus Christ like never before. And that we realize and comprehend and grasp this morning that we have only been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the atoning work of Jesus Christ alone. And thus because of that, let our pride then, Father, and our arrogance then, Father, and our own personal boasting then, Father, be excluded from all that we do. But instead, let us be quick to die to self, to put ourselves last, and to be a humble and self-sacrificial servant to all, since that is the way to true greatness, as made clear by the King of the kingdom of God, 
Jesus Christ himself. 